0: Welcome to the Shrink Think Podcast. I'm Erin.
1: And I'm Nathan, and we're both licensed professional counselors in Oregon here to open up our lives and minds with you.
0: We'll share some of our experience as counselors, business
1: owners, and most important of all, as everyday people.
0: Hi, and welcome to ShrinkThink. This is our podcast that explores the human experience from two therapists' perspective. We use a little humor and a lot of compassion to help you understand yourself and learn new ways of being. We hope you enjoy the show.
1: Hey, good afternoon and good morning, everyone. Today we have with us Casey Compton. She is a licensed professional counselor turned entrepreneur. She's the author of Fix This Next for Healthcare Providers, and she's a speaker and systems-focused business consultant. Casey took the mental health world head-on as she created and scaled her first group practice, which hit seven figures in less than two years. Today, she's on track for eight and loves every minute of it. She has taught other entrepreneurs her approach to scaling in less than 12 months, has helped upwards of 30 people break $1 million. Having faced nearly anything and everything in her own entrepreneurial journey, Casey is here today to speak on business and mindset strategies that really work for the everyday person and not just for the entrepreneurial savants. <laughs> hey, Casey, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself?
2: I'm laughing. That's so funny. Yes, that was a really good introduction. And my name is Casey. I live in South Central Kentucky. I vote here pretty much my whole life, with a few exceptions of moving off to Chicago to find myself and and all of those things. But I live here in Kentucky with my three kids, three dogs, husband, and my mental health group practice. I also have a hair salon here, a real estate company, and a few other things. But I started back in 2015, Really, after a difficult point in my personal life, going through a, a high risk pregnancy and feeling like starting my own business was just the way to go for me and for my future. So, really started that in 2015 and started as a, a solo therapist, but knew all along that I wanted to grow that into something much larger to meet the need. And that's kind of what happened. And so, here we are you know a few years later and we have upwards of 80 to 100 employees and we're growing every day and adding new new services and just trying to help people and um you know cuz after all that's the purpose you know that's why we're here
0: that's amazing you know you said 2015 i was thinking if you Count last year, maybe it's a throwaway year (laughs) in 2020. That's really like five years you've built such a huge company for yourself or a huge um, success story. When you said that you imagined you'd grow it into something big, is this what you imagined or is this even bigger than you had dreamed of?
2: Well, to be honest, you know, I didn't really start the business and think, okay, I want to have a hundred employees or I want to hit a million dollars or anything like that at that time i was really just a therapist you know i didn't know anything about business other than what i read in books and listened to online. And, and back then, I don't know if it was just me in my little bubble of Somerset, Kentucky or what, but I didn't listen to podcasts. I didn't know about mastermind groups. I never heard of a membership community. So there was really no way to stay connected with what people are doing. And so for me, I just said, I'm just going to accept whatever comes. If the need is there, I'm going to make sure that we can meet it. And that's what we did. We just really didn't put any rules on it in the beginning. I knew we wanted to make money and I wanted to be profitable, obviously, but we just really wanted to set out to help our state and help the people get access to high quality services, which I didn't feel like they were getting at the time.
1: Yeah. So Casey, when you say we, that when we set out, we were going to start it, did you have a, like another person kind of with you um, or some kind of team that you kind of had set up or how did that work?
2: Yeah, I did in the beginning. So I had a business partner in the beginning. And I always say we, I still say we, even if it's just me. I don't know why I do that. I did have a business partner in the beginning and that lasted a couple years. And then I bought out that partnership and took it on. But everything we do here, I have such an amazing group of people that work with me, such a good team that I feel like I don't really make any decisions in isolation. I'm lucky in that way that I have lots of people to bounce ideas off of or try to make them feel empowered to to be involved in this whole process.
0: That's amazing. Uh, Nathan and I actually are business partners. And before we, I guess, joined forces, making those decisions on our own was always something that we could do but you just don't really know how much better you could be doing it or how much better you can be thinking something through when you have other people to bounce ideas off of. So, I love that. I love that you still call it we. I sometimes refer to me as we, the royal we. We are not amused by this.
1: It's weird when you wear the crown though.
0: <laughs> so, Casey, systems is something that's very specific. It seems like it's a, a niche in the market. Like who talks about systems? So, First of all, like, how did you discover this was something that you were good at and you wanted to turn this into a business? And then maybe secondly, you can tell us what are systems?
2: So... I actually didn't realize I was good at systems myself. It was not a quality or a strength that I saw in myself. And I can take you back just a little bit because back in 2015, when I started my group practice, I told you it was a result of a high-risk pregnancy situation. So when I had my daughter and everything kind of went back to semi-normal, I knew that I had to take my future in my own hands and I didn't want to be an employee anymore. And I didn't want to... I needed to make sure that I could earn money And support my family, even if I wasn't physically able to work. It really scared me in that way. And so, starting a business seemed like the only option for me at the time. And so, what I did is, we went from a really difficult home situation where I didn't work for months and months and months and losing pretty much everything of what little we had and being so poor. And it was just a really terrible time to going into starting this business. And I I never really had a legitimate business before, you know, like I'd sold cupcakes and (laughs) things like that. But
0: and even I think when you have your own solo practice, you don't really think about that as a business. You're like, I'm just a therapist. I just see people.
2: Exactly. Yeah. And so I kind of went into this overcompensation mode where I thought, Okay, I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to work as many hours as it takes. I'm going to make sure that this thing is growing that it is working. And so I just started doing everything myself and I developed, you know, processes for new clients that called in and all of these different things that I now call triggers, all these different reasons that would initiate a workflow. I would just I was starting to develop those and seeing what worked and seeing what didn't work and in the process, I became the biggest bottleneck on the planet for myself because there was no way that the business could ever run if I wasn't involved in every single one of those workflows. So I did that for a while. And I talk about this in my book about how it backfired and how I had a really awful situation happen. It's it's about a pirate. And um, as a result of that, I was just like, okay, this isn't going to work anymore. It's time to build in more accountability here. And if I can't be the one that does everything and I shouldn't be the one that does everything and I have to let other people be responsible, I have to make sure that I can hold them accountable so that things continue to work. And that is really when I started thinking about it more like systems. Like I needed a system that would withstand all of the pressure that the business was going to place on it. And I needed that because I did not want to put all of my faith and trust in one single human being ever again. And that's kind of how systems came about. And I just started doing that in every single aspect or department of my practice. And I joined a mastermind group. And this coach at the time, after working or going through that mastermind group, he was like, "Hey." You know, no one else does this. I've never heard anyone else talk about it like this. People aren't really using systems. They don't know how to implement them. They don't know how to optimize them. Do you want to do some coaching as a contractor for me? And, you know, it was like, uh, <laughs> I, don't know. I really didn't. I knew it was working for me then, but I didn't know if it was a thing. And so I did it and started realizing that he was right. You know, he saw something in me that I didn't even see in myself. And then I could see so much change in everyone else's businesses. And it just kind of lit a fire under me. And I thought, I need to, I need to talk about this more because more people could have a more balanced life and a more fulfilled life if they did not feel like they had to be the one in charge of every single thing in their business.
1: That is so crazy. It just seems like, you know, you notice the fragility of life and how things are. And then you realize for your own self you've got to meet this need of survival, quite frankly, in case anything crazy happens to you again, because it's already happened. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: What I'm wondering, one of the hardest things for me was quite frankly, like hiring a secretary and then giving her things to do. It was like, it's like I was giving away my baby or something. I mean, I don't know. It was, it was pretty scary. As you were talking, I thought, what was the first system like where did you start what was the first thing you decided you know this is what i need to do first
2: yeah when you said that it made me laugh because i'm definitely a recovering control freak <laughs> if you met me today or if you came into my group practice today and watched me you would not think that it was the same person back in 2015 you know, I remember starting with and I still tell people this to this day usually. Most of the time I have I have a system now for knowing where to start, but usually where it's going to boil down to if you're in a healthcare industry or a healthcare business, you're going to start with the client facing system. So the system that controls the client's journey coming through your practice. That's most typically what I call client care. It's the person that either takes the referral, answers the phone, And then every single step that happens as a result of that trigger of a phone call or an email or, you know, a click to the website. So that's usually where I start because ultimately that's one of the foundational pieces of a practice. And if you can't get that right, it's very likely that you're missing a lot of other things, too. So I think it's important to always start there.
0: That makes a lot of sense. And as you were saying that, I was thinking, okay, what about the person who's listening and identifying with the recovery? Maybe they're not recovering yet. Maybe, <laughs> maybe they're in denial or like the first uh, contemplation stage of change mm-hmm. with their control freakiness. What advice would you have for somebody in that position of how to let go of that control or to deal with that control to even think about a system, let alone give themselves into that system?
2: Yeah, I'll I'll be really careful because I could go on a soapbox here. My first gut reaction would want to just tell them to stop it. (laughs) Um, A little
0: bit of Bob Newhart, stop it.
2: Yeah, uh uh-huh, (laughs) me. And actually, I probably would tell them just to stop it. And then there's so many different ways you can look at it. And so sometimes when I'm working with clients one-on-one or in small groups or something, It's just like working with a patient, you know, somebody that's coming to us for therapy. I have to really kind of figure out where they are coming from and what that block is stemming from. What are they afraid of? What's that core fear that they have? And then I will kind of tailor my advice specific to that core fear. And a lot of people just think that they don't do it on purpose. It's not like they have someone with a huge ego and think that they're amazing because they don't, but they think that they can do it better than anyone else. And I used to think that too. And and I also used to think, well, you know, by the time I have to teach somebody and then they mess it up and then I have to fix it, it would be faster if I just did it myself. Um, But what happens is a lot of things like, one, you're getting in your own way. So if you just want to have a really small practice, you have no desire to grow, you have no desire to increase your profitability, you have no desire to take back your life then keep doing what you're doing. But otherwise, having someone in there is really just freeing you up to be able to do the more meaningful task to you. And so although it's hard, I think you just have to start small and start slow and give some someone tasks that you're comfortable with. And also, you know, you don't go out and start a business to be trapped, you know, you start a business to, to find freedom. And if people really look at what their business is and whether it is serving them or are they serving the business a lot of times they they just get it all backwards. They it's like they're doing everything. Like you said, that that business was your baby and that's fine in the beginning, but that baby has to grow. And, you know, would you still would you still walk around and do all the things to a toddler that you would do to a baby? No, because you've got to teach it. It's gotta be self sufficient. It's gotta grow. It's the same way. And I think a lot of it does feed our ego, you know, whenever we're a new business owner or we're a business owner that has done it all. When our business needs us whether we want to admit it or not, that feels kind of good. You know, like, oh, I'm working, you know, it's, oh, it needs me. But after a (laughs) while, it just gets old really, really fast. And you just get in your own way and you can't grow and you can't get your time back and you can't make more money and you just get frustrated and you feel stuck.
1: Yeah. Okay. So if I, if I get real honest here, I'll challenge you a little bit. So as a person that starts their business, right, there is kind of a natural gifting that I think some of us have for like a customer service mindset or being able to engage with people really quick and that kind of click factor. And that was a huge part of my problem. Like when you were speaking, I'm like, yep, that's exactly right, man. I was to- totally, and I still struggle with like, oh man, if like this person answers the phone. There's no, like that client's going to be like, What? by. And I'm wondering if, does your system deal with kind of the intangible of being able to kind of help somebody navigate, like help somebody connect with the uh, client coming in, that type of a thing?
2: That's a really good point. And there's only so much the system can do. And so that issue right there is going to come from hiring people that have the talent that will match the task that you want them to complete. I can't teach someone how to... there's just things you
1: can't teach,
2: you know. You just can't teach certain.
1: Right. Some people just have it, or they don't.
2: Right. Yeah.
1: That's what I've been saying for years.
2: <laughs> so, so you know, you would want to put someone on the phone who is very intuitive, who can relate to people, who is very, who is just extremely warm and kind, because that's going to make up for some of the more technical things that it's going to take them time to learn. And it's going to take you teaching them to learn. But usually if you can just find someone with the right personality or just the right natural talent, it, it, it works. It, it's okay. And it does take a lot of, one of the hardest things for me, I, I don't know if y'all have kids or, and I don't know how old they are if you do, but it's, it's very similar to having children because, and you can ask any of my employees this, they'll tell you, I do this to them all the time. There are so many situations that come up that I feel just like what you just said. Like I'm cringing on the inside because I'm witnessing something I know is not going to go the way it would go if I was doing it. And there are times where I could very easily swoop in and save them. But I just let them fail. And I just let them crash and burn sometimes because they need to feel that and they need that experience so that then we can talk about it and then they can learn from it. And then they get one step closer to to being in a position where they are then confident in their position. And is it pretty? No, it's not. It's messy. And you don't want to see your kid's you know, fall on their face. You don't want to see your employees fall on their face. But if I swoop in and and save them every single time, again, I'm a bottleneck and they're going to be looking for me in the future. And I don't want that. So I can't do it now if it's not something I don't want in the future.
0: I love that. It's such a great example. As you were saying that, I was thinking, I do, I do some work around uh, clinical supervision and I gave a talk at a Practice of the Practice, uh, Joe Sanox killing a camp last year on the subject. And in that, I was talking about how if you can develop your ideal client and then tailor those practitioners toward those in, those ideal clients, then everybody is going to be seeing the clients that they really want to be seeing using their greatest strengths and greatest skill sets. Mm-hmm. And that's like a carryover, I think, of what you're saying. Like when you get the right people doing the jobs that they love, your system actually works really, really well. It's like a really well-oiled machine, not in the sense that it, it's always smooth, but like people enjoy what they do. Um, there's more probably collaboration, less friction, all of that stuff seems like it just makes everything go a lot better.
2: Absolutely, and, and I've seen both sides of that. I have had uh, support staff, administrative employees on my team in the past, who, you know, it just felt like I was beating my head against a wall. It was, it was, it was awful, honestly. And um, we couldn't ever really figure out what the problem was. We knew things weren't good, but we couldn't figure out why. And it was just, it was just hard. And then, um, you know, I was just like, look. I remember one day we all had a meeting, and I was like, look. This isn't working. Whatever title you have at the moment that's on your door, I want you to take it off and throw it in the trash. No one has a title anymore. Uh, No one's going to have a title again until we figure out exactly what your talents are. And we're just going to match you up. So your job's getting ready to change. Everything is getting ready to change. But afterwards, we're all going to be happy and we're going to be thankful. And this is going to be great. And that's what we did. And so we moved everybody around. We took lots of people out of their jobs, moved other people to other places. And now, if you were sitting in our conference room listening to a meeting, as opposed to a couple years ago, again, it would not look like the same company. Because now you have people that are all in positions that are very empowered to speak up, solve problems, to grow. They don't rely on me. They actually don't even ask me to solve their problems because then they know I purposely will take a long time to help them because I don't want them to depend on me. And so now it's just so much more harmonious. Everyone's happy. Everyone's confident. Everyone gets a lot of joy out of their contribution to the company because they know that they're good at it.
0: So we're talking to Casey Compton, established business consultant and incredible mother as well, I'm sure. Um, you sound like you're probably an amazing mom, even just the way you describe these kinds of relationships. I, I just think that's that's beautiful. I think that's exactly what you want for your kids. We, Nathan and I both have kids. Um, and that's exactly what it is. You want to empower them so that they can see their own talents and skills and use them and grow in the ways that they can't. Uh-huh. And that's how I think your system improves. So I want to get into some of the maybe practical stuff here um, in our last stretch of the show today. So first of all, how does someone determine the systems that they need for their own environment?
2: Where's the chaos coming from usually? You know, every business is going to be different. I found that in healthcare, there are some pretty general Basic systems. Of course, you know, you're going to have your office management system where your bills get paid, things, you know, things like that. If you're an insurance based business, you, you know, you're going to have a billing system. And within that billing system, you're going to have multiple processes in there. You're going to have a human resources system. Now, this may not be as robust if you are smaller, but if you're a large company, you're probably going to have someone in charge of the hiring, recruiting, training, onboarding, all that. We have a client care system just because it's such an important part of our practice marketing system and a clinical system. So really if you think about the systems, it's sort of sort of similar to departments. You know, when you think about the categories or the groups that things are going to fall into, and, and they're not always the same across the board. You know, your your business may have systems that my business don't because my business don't need them. So it's really just depending on what you need, what kind of Input is coming into the business, you know, what kind of things are you doing and where's the chaos coming? And that's usually how we determine the systems first.
0: That's brilliant. I love that. It's such an easy way to, if you're a business owner, to just think about your business and think about where is the chaos and everybody who runs a business, you probably know right away. This is what I spend the bulk of my time dealing with. I also, I'm curious about just to clarify, you said you have like a a client care system and a marketing system seems like the marketing is kind of intuitive. That makes sense. You're trying to get the word out there and bring clients in, if, if I'm right about that. And what's this client care system and what does that look like? Just briefly, I'm curious about that.
2: So the, you remember earlier whenever I mentioned the client journey, so the, the trigger? Right. Yeah. So the client care system is something we actually developed after reading Clockwork by Mike McAllowitz. and whenever he talks about the QBR, the queen bee role, and we just really decided that our QBR for our practice has to be the place where people feel cared for, and since the first person that someone talks to on the phone in a practice really sets the tone for the whole thing, we developed a client care system, and it is basically something that keeps... um, consistency and accountability throughout every client's journey that enters into the business.
1: Okay. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Let's say that I'm going to call you and I'm I'm looking for help. I'm the type of person that I have about a one and a half mile to do list and it stresses me out. I do some of it, but I know that if I don't put it on my list, I'm never going to do it. How practical do you get with me right off the bat? Are you do, Bob New heart me, stop it, and then hang up. I'm just <laughs> just kidding. But what, what would uh, what would it look like for me if I called you and was telling you that?
2: You mean if you just call me in general or if you were a client calling the practice or if you were calling me? Yeah, if he's about... just calling
1: you like yeah. randomly, definitely <laughs> yeah. don't answer that call. <laughs> yeah, I'm calling you at your house. So how's it going, by the way? Um, uh, no, so if I want to be, like if I'm bringing my business to you to, to help me with mm-hmm. my business.
2: Yeah. I would want to know. I would want to know what's on that list. And I want to know how you're prioritizing the list now. I don't know if either of you have... My specialty whenever I was working with clients was anxiety and panic disorders. And one of my favorite books and my favorite psychiatrist was Dr. David Burns, and who created this... Um, I don't know what it's called. It's called the downward arrow. And it, and it really just helps chip away at all of these needs until you are able to identify the core or the root of the problem. So that's exactly what I would do with you if you had a big, long to-do list, because chances are a lot of things on that to-do list are really just symptoms of other things on the to-do list that if you would just do those things, the other things wouldn't even be necessary anymore. Um, so I would want to know, I need to know what's on that list.
1: Okay. By chance, um, for our listeners out there, is there any kind of quick tips that you could give about maybe prioritizing that, that mile long to do list?
2: (laughs) Yeah. So if you're looking at it in terms of a business, you want to look at your to-do list and see which things on there have any. Relation to sales. And so what I mean by that is um, hiring, attracting new providers, attracting new clients, getting paid for those clients, collecting on payments for those clients, anything at all related to sales coming into the practice, that is always going to be an area that you're going to start.
0: Yeah. And is that because you had said initially somewhere in when you were talking about yourself and what your focus was, profits always first? And I know Mike McCallowitz talks about that as well. Is that the reasoning for that? Because that, that's what you want to be driving your business?
2: Sort of. He does say profits first, but he'll also tell you that that's actually sort of kind of not true, that sales always comes first because without sales, you can't have profit. And so sales is the bloodline of your business or your practice. And so without that, profit is, that's not even something you have to worry about because you're not going to have it. And then the third level of the foundational um, healthcare higher give needs is order, which is where you come into systems and efficiency. And that's also not even relevant if you're not generating sales.
0: Right, right. Everything kind of flows downstream from if you have nobody at your door, you don't need any systems. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, great. Well, since we're talking about Mike um tell us about Fix This Next.
2: So Micro Fix This Next that launched back in April of 2019, I believe. And I read the book, ta- had a lot of conversations with Mike about the book because it just felt like his book was already written almost for healthcare providers, especially because how the premise of his system is based on Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And when I read it, I just saw so many parallels to the issues that therapists face, nutritionists, dentists, doctors, you know, we all kind of face the same needs. And so um, I knew that I needed to write something specific to healthcare providers, especially after I heard some of the feedback from other therapists about Fix the Snacks. They were like, I loved it, but I wasn't really sure how to apply it to me. And so really, that's what Fix This Next is. It is, first of all, we changed the model. So we changed the, in the original Fix This Next, it's the BHN, the business hierarchy of needs. We changed the criteria on that, created the healthcare hierarchy of needs, and then turned that into a diagnostic tool.
0: And can I, can I just interject really quickly, for those who are listening who d- may not know about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, it was this, uh, was, I think he was a psychologist back in the day who developed this hierarchy of needs that we have that says, well, we can't work on any of these higher needs like altruism. If we don't have basic needs met like food and water and shelter. And so you have this, you know, hierarchy from the, the ground building up. So it's like, if you don't have any sales, then you don't have any employees, then you don't have any systems. Is that, is that accurate?
2: Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah. And so, you know, that was super important. That's where, that's exactly where the sales profit and order came from. So sales is the foundational level profit is above that. And then you have order at the top. And then the biggest thing, like back what you were asking about the the to-do list, it's kind of what this book is. It uses that hierarchy. To help you prioritize your to-do list, which then gives you back your time, gives you back your life, brings confidence in the decisions that you make. It almost becomes like a little compass that you carry around that anytime you're like, oh, you know, I've got some problems, but I've got so many. I don't really know where to start. You take and you pull out your diagnostic tool and you ask yourself 15 questions. And once you get the answers to those questions, it pinpoints exactly exactly.
0: Where you start, wow, like literally fifteen questions. yeah that's it. wow, that sounds amazing. It's funny to hear you describe that too, because I was thinking it's it's a little bit like a blueprint where I'm walking around and i'm I'm doing whatever I'm doing. This' is just kind of my own visual analogy of it. and I can always refer back to the blueprint to see where I'm off, and then it's mm-hmm. got like the measurements and you know you've got your fifteen questions. I think that sounds amazing because then you can always. Check yourself against something. And I think for business owners, also to have either a, a template or a compass or something that is like, what are my guardrails? Where do I know I'm in line and where I'm out of line here? It seems like mm-hmm. it gives you some good structure and direction where you might feel a little bit chaotic. So it's always pointing you in the right direction.
2: Exactly. That's exactly the purpose. Um, that's exactly why it was created. And, and, you know, it's one of these things that it's designed for you to complete over and over again. And so here in in my business, I'm grooming a chief operating officer who is my human resources director right now. But that's one thing that I give to her is this diagnostic assessment. And I don't know how often she's taking it. I think maybe a couple times a month. But you know, it's not linear. It's not like, okay, I'm going to start at sales and then I'm going to do good. And then I'm going to move up to profit and then I'm going to do good. And then I'm going to go to order. That's not how it works because you it you could change that at any given time. Like one little trigger that pops into your business may move you right back down to the sales level.
0: Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. Well, Casey, we're out of time for our show for today, but I just want to personally say um, I was already interested in this book as I, I'm a definitely a systems thinking kind of a guy. And I love the idea of putting order where there might be chaos or putting some known to something that might be unknown. So I was already interested in this. And um, so now that you've described it, I'm like, I'm definitely getting this. Um, Fix this next for healthcare providers. Can you tell us uh, about that when it comes out and where people can get it?
2: Sure. It launches officially through Amazon and all of the other indie book stores on July 19th of 2021. Uh, we do have it available for pre-order. The pre-orders right now are all of the signed copies. Once they're purchased through Amazon, then of course they're not going to be signed. But yeah, so in July and people, I don't know when this will air, but people will see a lot of promo for it. I do want to mention we have something really cool that we have developed. It's an interactive reading experience for people who can go on the website and it's on, um, I'll give you the link, but caseycompton.com forward slash FTN.
0: We'll make sure that gets into the show notes.
2: Yeah, it's going to be really cool. So we have a lot of behind the scenes videos, lost content. Uh, we have about a 20 page workbook that walks you through the whole entire process. It's really good.
0: Wow. That sounds amazing. And Casey, where can people find you on social media?
2: I mostly hang out on Instagram and Facebook, and but I would love, I'm very active on both of those platforms. So I would love for people to follow us, let us know they're following and engage with us as much as possible.
1: Wow. This has been, this has been really fun actually. And, and really great. A lot of great information. Hope you folks out there, check this out. Casey, thank you so much for joining us. And we really hope that all of you out there have a great day.
0: Thanks guys. Thanks for listening to our show. Don't forget to head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts to leave us a review and subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also visit our website at www.shrinkthinkpodcast.com forward slash course and sign up for our free email course, Nine Ways to Overcome Fear and Self-Doubt and you'll get nine weeks worth of customized, practical strategies you can use to get past the fear that's holding you back in your life. Thanks again for listening.